so genuinely appreciative of him being able to come. Brother Dillard, come, and let's hear from heaven again. We love you tonight. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Who's got the victory on Tuesday night? Good to be in the house of God. If you got your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. Believe and trust the Lord. He's going to help us. We're going to read this evening about Daniel and his three companions, a story that I guess almost every person in this building has heard one time or another about Daniel and his three companions and how they overcame the powers of darkness and the work of hell that was at work in the hour that they lived in. And many of you know that the king had erected an image and he had said that everyone who does not bow down to that image when the music began to play, that they were going to be thrown in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And many of you know the story goes on to read these young men. They made a decision that they were not going to bow down to the, uh, uh, the attacks from hell and the unrighteousness of the hour that they lived in. I need to say that things that you cultivate an appetite for, things that you create and develop an appetite for are going to be strongly those things that are either going to dictate your destiny closer to God or they're going to move you away from the things of God. I remember my pastor telling me a long time ago, he said, the key to living life is not that you avoid the fire. Because many of you know that it's through the fire that we're purified. It's through the fire that many of the impurities and things that are in our lives are worked out. But the key is coming out of the fire, not being so funky that God can't use you. And many times people, they go through the fires of life, but when they come out of the fire and the trials of life, they got too much world on them. Can somebody say amen? And they're so funky that God can't use them. And I want to tell you that the key here is not avoiding the world. We're not a group of people here that says we're going we're gonna to lock ourselves up in this building this evening and we're going to avoid the world. We don't want to get no world on us. The key is don't get the world in you. Can I get a couple of witnesses here? Don't get the world in you. And here we have some young men who made powerful impact in their lives. And I want us to read in Daniel chapter 1, verse number 3. As I believe the Lord is going to help us. It says, Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the kings, uh, some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men of whom there was no blemish but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had an ability to serve in the king's palace of whom he might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men of your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. Can we pray together and ask the Lord to help us? God, we thank you for all that you've done this week. And Lord, we pray tonight for once again a visitation. I cast down every work of spiritual pride and unbelief. And Lord, I ask you that you would cause your spirit to examine our heart and cause your word to have free course. Lord, that you would break habits and addictions and mindsets that would be contrary to your will. And God, may we rise up and be the people that you've destined for us to be. 
Lord, we give you right of way this evening, change and mold and shape and fashion a people of godliness and righteousness in an hour of perversion and wickedness. May your church be triumphant. We give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people say with a wonderful shout, amen. amen. Look at somebody and tell somebody, I'm sure glad that you're here. Amen. I know that I know that I'm glad that you're here because if you weren't, then I'd just be preaching to Pastor and his family. So I'm glad that you're here. Hallelujah. I want to preach a message this evening that I've entitled The Acquired Taste. And I want to look first and talk about God's remnant of righteousness. Here we have the king who is requesting something that we need to make sure that we understand. He says, bring me young men of whom there is no blemish, but good looking and gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand. Now, first of all, brothers and sisters, we need to be well aware of what the enemy is really after. We are reminded in the book of Genesis, as we think about this this evening, in the book of Genesis, how, uh, how the serpent came and beguiled Eve. And many of you know she partook of the fruit, and the history tells us that she gave unto her husband, and he ate also. We understand that that was a strategy to destroy the relationship between man and God and God and man. But we also have to understand that the enemy is ultimately after and trying to destroy any resemblance of righteousness in the earth. Now, you have to understand every time that the enemy saw Adam and Eve, he saw God and a, a, a creation of God's hand. He hated everything that Adam and Eve possessed. And the enemy will not rest until he's destroyed anything that resembles God on earth. It brings to mind, once again, and many of you know in Matthew chapter 2, how when Jesus an angel spoke to Joseph and said, listen, you need to make sure that you hide this young boy because Herod is looking for him. Now, how many know that Herod was looking for Jesus, but he was not looking for Jesus for fellowship? Can you say amen? He was not going to break bread with Jesus. They were not going to sip the sweet cup of fellowship. He was looking for Jesus because Jesus is Emmanuel. God with us. And every time the enemy saw Jesus, he's reminded of God in heaven. And he was not going to rest until he destroyed any resemblance of God on the earth. God's righteousness. Righteous seed. I pondered my life. I got saved when I was 21 years old. And I I was thinking about when I was writing this sermon, I said, man, you know, it amazes me how when I was a sinner, the devil will always give you things and people to mess you up. Now, some of you know what I'm talking about. You lived a few years on the outside. Talk to me, somebody. How you always were around somebody who got something to smoke. Somebody who's always got something to drink, somebody who's always living foul. And I remember, I don't know about you, but I know that in my personal life, that by the time that I was 21 years old, my mind was pretty much gone. My mother was pregnant with me at 17 years old. And the devil knew that if he couldn't destroy me before my mother had me at 17, that he was going to do everything in his power to kill me before I could ever get saved. Because I want everyone to understand and recognize what the enemy is really after. He is out to destroy any resemblance of God from the planet. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not this evening. The devil does not like you. He don't like your kids. He don't like your grandkids. He don't like your mama. Oh, come on, somebody. He don't like your daddy. And he was looking to destroy me. He wanted to kill me before I could ever even preach the gospel. 
Because every time the enemy sees me and every time that he sees you, he understands that you have been made in the likeness and the image of God and you have righteous potential and purpose in your life and he will not rest until he has destroyed any resemblance of God. Think about this. America is a Christian nation. I say that loosely. America aborts over a million babies a year. Now, folks, we know that there is a demon from hell that is behind that. That there is a major demonic strategy from the pit of hell that is behind a million abortions a year. That the enemy is out to destroy God's creation, to exterminate righteous seed and to leave the earth barren of righteousness. We feel that as the coming of the Lord draws closer, you can feel this even as we see this uh, this mass murder in, in Virginia that continue, it continuously blows my mind as I think about it. I can't even look at the news in the hotel. It vexes me. Folks, we need to understand that there is a demon from hell behind that. Uh, you watch the news and they're trying to find who to blame. Could someone warn earlier? Could you SMS earlier? Where's all the warnings? Well, I know there's a whole lot of warnings already went out. And there's a demon in hell that is out to destroy people. See, the enemy has always wanted God's best. The devil always wants God's best. He is always after God's remnant people. He is always out to destroy God's righteousness. The king said, bring me some of the children of Israel, some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. We've got to be honest here. You know, folks, you can't stick your head in the sand this evening. You got to really be be real about what the devil's really after. I was at my mom's house and my mom had the Oprah magazine. And I don't know if I was constipated. I don't know what, but I, I picked it up for some reading material. And uh, no, just joking. There was an article that was on the front of it that caught my eye. It had some of the old singers, Patti LaBelle and Smokey Robinson and, and, uh, and, 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 and Aretha Franklin. And some of the old artists, you know, back when folks could really sing without studio help. And... Uh, <laughs> Some of the old singers were talking about some of the new artists that are on the scene now. And uh, Patti LaBelle began to share about this young man by the name of John Legend. John Legend, he's, he's big time now, plays piano. And, uh, you know, he's big time, you know. He's, and uh, she, she says this. This is what really got me. She said, you should hear him sing. She said, he sounds very spiritual. Somebody better say, "Mm mm-mm. She said, he sounds very spiritual. She says, you can tell when you hear him sing that he came right out of the church. Oh, I wish I could get somebody to help this brother preach this word here tonight. I'm going to say it again so y'all can kind of get that in your spirit. She said, you can tell that he came right out of the church. You know why he sounds like he came out of the church? What you say, Pastor? <laughs> Pastor Drought said, because he did. He came right out of the church. And you know how Patty LaBelle knows he came out of the church? Oh, my goodness. I got some people with me here tonight. <laughs> because Patty LaBelle came out of the church. Aretha Franklin came out of the church. Smokey Robinson came out of the church. Years ago, we loved that group called Boys to Men. White people like boys to men. Everybody likes boys to men. Rich, rich harmonies. You hear these guys sing, man. These brothers can sing. There's some people who can sing and there's some people who can sing. These brothers can sing. Rich, rich harmonies. You know where they learn how to sing? They learn how to sing in church. Listen, folks, you don't go to like harmony school to learn how to sing harmony. These guys learn how to sing harmony in church. And I remember growing up, my great uncle Arthur, he would do what they call in the church, raising a hymn. 
And all of those people, those older people could sing these wonderful harmonies in church. See, I grew up in a church didn't have all the instruments and stuff like that to mask not being able to sing. You had to know how to sing a little bit. And I remember growing up, they had maybe a piano every once in a while, maybe not, but they had their Bible and had their foot, and they'd hit that Bible and stomp their foot, and they would do what they call raising a hymn, and they learned how to sing those harmonies. Do you know that crazy prince, you know prince, who had prince and he changed his name to a, a symbol and then changed it back to prince. You know, prince comes from a Pentecostal background. You know, as crazy as Marilyn Manson, you know, Marilyn Manson, the guy, you don't really know what he is. His father's a Pentecostal preacher. And the list, if I had time, goes on and on and on of God's best that have been taken out of the kingdom of God. Because I declare to you here this evening that the devil wants God's best. He wants my kids. He wants your kids. He wants men and women in this congregation. He wants your life. He wants God's best. And the sad fact is that some of hell's best recruits have come right out of church. Some of hell's greatest poster children, if I can, have come right out of the church. And the king made no qualms. He said, I want you to bring me some nobles and some of the king's descendants. I want to talk to you about the acquired taste. The king said, I want you to bring me young men. Of no, uh, of no blemish, good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, of whom I might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. And you follow me very closely. Language and literature. The king knows of this world, knows how crucial language is. Language is simply speech. And the enemy knows that if you can't speak the language, then the ability to convey this culture, this kingdom culture to another generation is going to be extremely difficult. I was at my daughter's school the other day, and there was a a, a, a Muslim lady that was there, and she's sitting there, and she's talking to her daughter, and, uh, you know, she's got the head thing on her head, and, and uh, I think she's speaking Arabic. It had a lot of ha-ha-ha in it, and so I don't, I don't know exactly what language it was, but I know it had a lot of ha in it. And so she's sitting there, and I'm watching her, and her daughter's sitting over there with some other little Spanish kids and, and all different kinds of kids in my daughter's uh, school. And the mom is like, hockey, hockey, hockey. And, and, and so the, the, the daughter's like, um, whatever, mom, I don't know. My gosh, I don't know. And, and, so, and so the mom is getting ticked off. And so the mom says back to the little girl in Arabic, I don't know what she's saying. And then the little girl says to her mom again, oh, my gosh, it's right, left, whatever. And the mom, her face, her whole face changed. And she looked at me and she said, I'm getting ready to go and knock her out. <laughs> she said, what's wrong with these kids? She says, you know, I'm trying to teach her our native tongue. And she said, you see what she does? She says she keeps speak, speaking to me in English. She said, if she doesn't learn how to speak this language, then we're going to lose our culture. You see, you know, you know something about this kingdom language? There's a lot of people in church who don't know how to speak this language. They speak broken Jesus. Folks, you know, one thing that, I, that really vexes me is, have you ever tried to talk to someone in Jesus? I mean, folks, it would be really nice if you are a Christian that you do know how to speak and say a little bit of something about Jesus. Oh, I wish I'd get somebody to testify. Some of y'all looking at me all crazy like you don't know me here tonight. I said, it'd be really nice since we are Christians that every once in a while there's something about the kingdom of heaven would come off your lips. And it, what it really baffles me sometimes, you'll be sitting with somebody and, and you'll try to talk to them about some simple godly stuff. And you'll speak to them in Jesus. 
And you'll find out very quickly that they don't even know how to answer you. It's, it's some, some, you know, John chapter 4, the woman at the well, and, and they try to talk back. And, like, <laughs> and it's very apparent quickly that they don't know this language. They don't know how to speak. And see, there's people here right now. I can feel it by the Holy Ghost of God. I can feel it. And just by simple intuition. Then there's people here right now that you don't know how to speak this language. And not only do you not know how to speak this language, but what compounds that is you're very fluent in everything else. See, it's not that you just don't know how to say anything else, because I'm not saying to you, just talk about Jesus 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But what is really baffling is that the same people that I talk to sometimes who don't know how to speak this language, if I start talking about sports, they'll be like, my gosh, Kobe! Kobe! He's handling business! They know sports. They know who's marrying who in Hollywood. They know who's divorcing who, who's shacking up, who got pregnant by who, when to buy, when to sell, what's in, what's out. And then when it comes to speaking Jesus, don't know the language. See, the devil's not stupid. He knows if you can't speak the language, there ain't no hope for you or anybody in your family. It's quiet in here tonight. The rate we're going will be a lot of people that just hang around church, carry Bibles, but ain't got no Bible in us. Got big old Bibles. You know, folks, we, we, we're some Bible folks. Got all kinds of Bibles, all kinds of translations. But, we, you know, the thing now, I, I, I travel a lot, man. I go to a lot of churches. Now the thing now, people just don't even bring them anymore. It used to be in the old days, at least you fake like you're going you're gonna to read your Bible a little bit. You know, back in the old days, people would come to church. At least, at least got your Bible now. Damn, people don't even bring their Bible. They ain't going to fake like it, man. Don't even bring it at all. Just leave it. So if the enemy knows that if you can't speak the language, then he'll try to change your culture. You know, that's what literature is. Literature is simply culture. And every person in here has culture. Black, white, Filipino, Hispanic, whatever you're from, Eastern Europe, I don't know. We, could, we got a few nationalities in here. And all of us have culture. You know, I, I struggle with culture. If I can just, hey, uh, you know, I'm black. I don't know if you guys know that. I just want to break it to you gently if I, if I can, because uh, I know some of you have been speculating, and so I want to silence all the speculation. I, I've been black for over 40 years now. And so just, just so I can, you know, there's nothing wrong with having your culture. But I, I remember when I first moved to Arizona, 1988, I'm like, where are the black people? <laughs> it's just weird, man. It's, you know, I just wasn't used to it, man. I, I get out to Arizona, I'm looking. Because, you know, the black people, the black people have certain things about them, certain cultural things. Move a certain way, talk a certain way. That's just the way black people are. It's just a cultural thing. My wife, she's Hispanic. And so my wife, she's, we've been married a long time. She's finally getting the, the hang of this thing. So we'll be in the airport. If you know this thing about black people, I can be in the airport. My wife's with me. I'll see another black guy in the airport. He'll look at me. I'll look at him. I'll go, what's up, man? <laughs> and so that always trips my wife out. She says, oh, my gosh, you know them? I'm like, No. How am I going to know him in New Orleans? I don't know him. He's just another brother. What's up? What's up? You know, I can't disrespect the brother by not saying what's up. Just a black thing. Culture thing. It's okay. Listen, you know, when, when God saved me, he didn't say, Stacy, okay, now that you're Christian, you have to be white. When God saved me and said, okay, now that you're a Christian, Stacy, I know, you know, I know that you go to a church that's predominantly Hispanic, and so now you have to be Hispanic. I'm still black. 
I still like doing things that black people do. I, I, I moved to Arizona, and I'm kind of tripping out. I'm like, where are the black folks? And the people in church, you know, they, they could feel my vibe. They could feel my black vibe. And I said, where are the black people? And they said, the black people, we got some black people out here. And I said, where are they at? And they're like, they're on South Side. You know, all the black people on South Side. The black people in Chicano is all on South Side. And so they told me that all the black people, they come out at nighttime because it's hot. And they don't want to be out during the daytime. They told me, if I want to see all the black people, I can go down to South Side at nighttime, and that's where they'll be. I, I struggled, man. They're in church, and I said, gosh. I said, I don't think I can stay in this church. Looking around, I'm getting the heck out of here. God dealt with me about my culture. He said, listen, you know something? I saved you, and I did not save you to become not black. You're still black, but the problem is your culture is beginning to interfere with kingdom culture. And I have birthed you into a new culture and a new kingdom. And that is a culture of righteousness. Come on, somebody help me here this evening. That is a culture of faithfulness and commitment and evangelism and church planning. And that kingdom culture supersedes any other culture that you may have. So I want everyone to understand something here. The issue is that no one's telling you don't be what you are. But when your culture, whether you be black, Hispanic, whatever culture you may be here this evening, if your culture begins to uh, interfere and conflict with kingdom culture, then you better evaluate yourself. We have a culture of faithfulness to the things of God. And what the king of this world desires to do is change our language and our culture and make you look at kingdom culture with contempt and disdain. There's many people that don't know the culture. Can I, can I just say something here? If you don't know this word, then you don't know your culture. You're not going to get this by osmosis. You, you won't. And if you don't know this book, then it's impossible for you to know your literature and your culture. And the king cannot change your language and literature. Then he will appoint to you a daily provision. See, folks, we are inundated with the daily provision of this world. You, you can't even, listen, folks, I was at the gym with Pastor uh, yesterday, and we were trying to get a workout, and usually I take my, my iPod because I can't stand the music that they play at the gym. I can't handle all the booty music. I, I, can't, I can't handle all that. And you can't, even, you can't even go to the gym. You can't even go to the market. You can't even buy a piece of gum. And, and a loaf of bread without standing there in line, you look over here to the left, they got nonsense. Talk to me, somebody. You look over here on the right, they got nonsense. We are overwhelmed with the portion of this world, the delicacies and the trinkets of this world. You can't go anywhere because the king of this world wants to appoint to you and I a daily provision. In other words, he wants you to acquire a taste for this world. I say once again, the things that you develop an appetite for are either going to dictate you and navigate you closer to God or move you away from the will and purposes of heaven. That word acquire means developed after birth. It means you're not born with it. You just develop a taste for it. Can I say that again? Amen. You're not born with it. You just develop a taste for it. I remember years ago before my wife and I had any kids, usually people who don't have any children are always specialists at having kids. My wife and I, we didn't have any kids back then, so we were, we're specialists, man. We're looking at people's kids. And, man, they need to take better care of their kids. And so uh, we had made an agreement, my wife and I, that we were never going to give our kids candy. I got a couple of, I ain't got a couple of witnesses here, don't I? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That you said it too. Yeah. Giving your kids candy, making them all hyper. And so I said, we're not gonna give my kids candy. We tell people, don't give my son any candy. He doesn't have any candy. So one day my son Devin, 
he's sitting in the he's sitting in his baby seat. He's sitting behind me. And any parent knows when they start crying and acting goofy, and you don't know why they're crying. He's uh, he's sitting behind me, and he's uh, 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 and I don't know why he's crying. I'm threatening him. Come on, parents, you know what I'm talking about. I'm threatening. I'm like, boy, I'm getting ready to stop this car. Don't make me. Don't make. Don't 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 make me stop this car. So finally, I came up with a brilliant idea. I said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to try that candy thing. I remember I, I, I jumped out of the car. I ran into 7-Eleven. I got him a big old Charms Blow Pop. I remember his face, man. He's, his face is just, he's looking. He's like, he had that little curly afro working, man. I took the wrapper off, man, and I shoved that Charms blow pop in his mouth, man. <laughs> Slobber coming all down, man, mixed with snot. Talk to me, somebody. <laughs> he stopped crying. He was healed. And I thought to myself, man, you know this works. But the only problem is it created a monster. And anyone who has kids... You know what I'm talking about. Because they're okay until you give it to them. Because everybody has a palate. That's why if I were to name off certain things to you right now, some of you maybe have never even ate it before, and you really don't have a taste for it. Like if I was to say, man, get some Stingray. You're like, Stingray? Because you've never had it before. My mom, she came to Malaysia, and she had never had Stingray, and I had them cook her up some stingray in Malaysia. And she said, oh, baby, I don't know if I even want that. You know, I just don't even know if I want that. I said, well, just take a bite. Take a little bite, Mom. It's good. She said, I don't even know if I want that. One bite. All she kept talking about the whole time she's in Malaysia, a whole week, can we get some more of that stingray? <laughs> 50-something years of living, never had stingray, and take one bite. She's still talking about stingray. Because, see, Anyone in here who's ever done drugs or you ever push drugs, you know that you just give people things that are free. That's why people who deal dope, they know that, you know, if you go out and deal some dope and you can just give people free stuff. Just tell them, no, 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 don't worry. Don't pay me, man. No, it's free. Go ahead and have a good time. Because they know that even if you've not developed a taste for it, all it usually takes is one try. And then your spiritual and physical palate is quickened and you develop a taste for things. My brother-in-law, he's a, he's a plain flat-out sinner. Every once in a while he's just going to cuss and fit just to let me know that he's going to hell. Just act crazy. He got a new car, has a stereo in there, man, got a sounds in there. And uh, we go to his, his car and He's letting me hear his stereo, and I look at his visor. He's got this visor up there, and he's got all his music in there. He's got 50 Cent. He's got all his boys up there, Snoop and everybody all jammed in there. And, folks, what amazed me, I'm looking at his music, and I didn't see in his music like Amy Grant. You know why? Cause, oh, my goodness, Pastor. You just Because he didn't have a taste for it. It's something about it that, that even when he's in my car and I put my music on, my Christian music, it, 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 he ain't got a taste for it. So he jams his, his earbuds in his ear and turns his iPod real high so he don't have to hear that because he don't have a taste for it. But it always trips me out that I see Christian people. Christian. And they have all this center music. And I try, to, I try to wrap my mind around it, but I'm struggling after, after 18 and a half years of salvation. I'm trying to figure out, well, how is it that a sinner has no Christian music in his collection, but Christians who are trying to keep a right appetite will have in the middle of all of their so-called righteousness some unrighteousness? And I came up with a conclusion. The reason why you have those things is because sometimes you get a taste for it. I mean, come on, you can't be spiritual all the time. So sometimes you just want to get just carnal. 
Mm-mm. I mean, sometimes you just want to get fleshy, and so you just put on something fleshy. <laughs> fleshy. So you just let your hair down and just get plain, flat-out carnal. See, that's, that's the reason why you got the movies. Oh, it's quiet in here. Got the movies and you got the magazines and you got the books and you, the venues and all the things that the world. Because every once in a while you just have an appetite for it. Got a craving for it. The Bible says in James, each man is tempted when he is led away by his own desires and enticed. So the things that you see, see, the enemy is hoping that you forget your language and you don't know your culture and that you cultivate an appetite for this world. It amazes me how many so-called Christians have this appetite for unsaved people. No fear at all. They're Christian, but they just, just, just in love with all of these unsaved guys. I hear girls all the time, young girls. Oh my God, he's so fine. I'm like, who's so fine? Some knucklehead at her school, or some knucklehead on the job, some unsaved guy going to hell. But she has this desire, appetite, and vice versa. So I know God is moving because people are just quiet. See, it doesn't really matter how you cut and slice it. The reason why we do the things we do is because we have an appetite for those things. And we've cultivated an appetite for those things. The reason why we watch the things we watch, we do the things we do, we go to places that we go, and we buy the things that we buy. See, I remember preaching in Santa Fe years ago, and there was a lady that was there who was addicted to those romance books. Now, folks, if I were to just tell you that, most of you just laugh like, she crazy. But she knew she had a problem when she could read those books all day. And then she'd pick up her culture book. Mm-mm-mm. And she'd start reading. And as soon as she start reading this Bible book, she gets sleepy. Somebody help me here tonight. You know you're in trouble if you can sit and play video games and watch movies and listen to all kinds of worldliness, but then as soon as you pick up this history book and this living word, you're like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I'm so tired. I don't know what to do. So, oh, what you say, girl? She said, check yourself. I didn't say it, she did. You know you're in trouble. If every time you pick this up, some overwhelming exhaustion overtakes you, can't focus, can't concentrate, can't pray, can't do the things of God, you know that you're in trouble. And you can pick up a magazine that has nothing to do with God and this just underlining, ripping things out, saving them. And the devil says, uh-huh. He says, the way we're going, <laughs> churches will be full of folks, but they don't know the language. They don't know the culture. They don't even resemble heaven. He's looking, he says, man, good. If I couldn't kill them before they got saved, I'll just have them walking around acting like it. Acting like they've got some God in them when really they have no resemblance of heaven. See, the devil's very shifty. See, I, I had to check my own heart. I'm not just, I didn't get this from the, the uh, preacher cyberspace. I had to check his own heart. As I said, Stacy, man, you've got some appetites that aren't very good. You've got some cravings, big boy, that aren't very good. And I, I got to close quickly. You guys just give me one preacher's minute. If you're going to overcome this world, I, I, I give you this very quickly. If you're going to overcome this world, you have to, number one, know your God. 
and Daniel and his three companions, they knew their God. And many people have a difficult time creating an appetite and developing an appetite for the kingdom because they don't know their God. And secondly, they purposed in their heart. The scripture says that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. That word defile means to make yourself useless. Now listen to me. Daniel said, listen, I am not going to develop any kind of appetites and desires that are going to disqualify me from the purpose and usefulness of heaven. That is a decision that you have to make up. You have to purpose your heart. You said, there's anything in me right now, God, that is going to make me useless to the kingdom of God. I'm going to judge it tonight and deal with it. And last but not least, he determined his will. Folks, I play a lot of basketball. You play basketball. There's certain things that have to be lined up when you shoot a jump shot. Legs have to be lined up. Arm has to be straight. When you release at the top of your jump, it's what they call the follow-through. I was playing basketball in college, and I was going through a horrible shooting slump. Couldn't make nothing, man. Every shot, every shot that I shot was just bang, bang, bang. And the guy's like, man, Stacy, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know. They shot video and showed me shooting. And what I was doing is I comforted shot. I would have the right elevation. I get to the top of my jump. And when I shoot, I pull my hand back. And every one of my shots were falling short. And I was hitting the front of the rim. And they said, you're not following through on your shot. And that's why you're missing. You know, many people in the kingdom of God, they have good intentions. So I know that you have good intentions. Or you would not mess around coming to revival. There's a whole lot of other stuff we can do. Come Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, here you are, Tuesday. I know that you've got good intentions, but see, folks, I preached enough revivals where I know good intentions won't cut it. I know that in my own life, I've had a lot of good intentions. I said, man, you know something? I've got this in my home and this in my life, and I'm a, uh, I'm a, I've got some good intentions. I'm going to deal with it, but the problem is by the time that I got home and need to do what I need to do, huh? I was pulling my hand back. So I smoked two packs of cigarettes a day. I was bound. And I remember I would be so convicted I'd come home from church and take my last toke. <laughs> Throw the cigarette down. I bind the devil. Like I said, I'm not pulling this out of a hat, out of a sermon hat. I throw the cigarettes down. I smash up all of my cigarettes. And I, arr, arr, devil, stomp on them, go through all the stuff. But I had no follow through. I had some <laughs> purpose, but I had no determination to follow through with what I said I'm going to do. And I found myself right back at the store doing the same thing that I said that I would not do. See, if you're going to make it, you're going to have to determine your will and say, the very thing that I say that I'm going to do, that I purpose my heart to do, I'm going to have to follow through and do it. That means if you've got some stuff in your house that shouldn't be there, you don't need a prayer meeting and fasting. You will leave here tonight, you will go to your house, and you will get it out of your house tonight. You don't need to make phone calls. You don't need to sit around and negotiate about how much it costs. My pastor told me a long time ago, you do whatever you need to do to be right. That means you'll do whatever you need to do. Listen, I don't know what God is dealing with you about. But you say, God, I'm going to purpose my heart and determine my will. I've been reading. I got magazines. I got books. I got music. I got addictions. I got strongholds. I'm looking at some stuff I shouldn't be looking at. I had a young man in my church in Malaysia. He came to me about five times about his computer. And every time he got that look on his face, 
I knew something was not good. And I said to him, I said, Leon, if you can't handle that internet, you better rip that stupid thing out of the wall and throw it off the 12th floor. Some of you say, man, <laughs> preacher, that's drastic. Well, so's hell. So I'm not, listen, listen, you do whatever you need to do. I said, listen, man, don't keep coming to me telling me, man, you know, pastor, pray for me. What are you going to do? Follow through. You do whatever you need to do to be right. If you can't handle it, cut it off, get rid of it, rip it out of the wall. Whatever you need to do. You're sitting here, you got that big old TV at home with them 3,000 channels. And you can't even handle five of them. Man, I keep watching stuff on TV I shouldn't. Well, listen, folks, it don't take rocket scientists. If you know you can't handle it, get rid of it. Say, I'm not going to have that junk in my house. See, I know me. That's why I don't have one at home. I know that Stacy is on the verge of hurting someone at a large percentage of the time. And I made a decision a long time ago. I said, I'm not even going to open that door because if I open that door, I'm in trouble. I have a hard enough time reading and staying a hold of God without a TV. Can you imagine me in front of that thing? Mouth all open, bodily function shutting down. See, you know you. And you say, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to be right. I'm going to follow through with what I say that I'm going to do. Whatever it takes for me to be right, that is what I'm going to do. How many of you ready to do that here tonight? I want you to bow your heads and hearts for the Lord. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. As our heads are bowed, <clears throat> our eyes are closed. I thank you, I thank you, I thank you for your patience. Thank you for your hearts. Thank you for your hearts that are open to what God desires to do in us. I want to pause for a moment and just take a little bit of time and speak to those maybe that have come this evening that aren't Christians. Maybe you've come this evening, you're not saved, you're not right with God. Before we conclude this service, you say, Brother Stacy. Pastor Drought, I've come this evening. I'm not saved. I'm not right with God. I want to be right tonight. You lift your hand right now all over this building. Lift your hand quickly. You say, yes, that's me. I'm not saved. I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm lost. Would you pray for me? Pray with me. I want to give my life to the Lord. You lift your hand quickly all over this building. Lift your hand quickly. Lift it up and say, yes, that's me. I want to be right with God. I want to leave this place knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm right with Jesus. As I've said all week, I'm not trying to get you to sign up for church. I'm inviting you to know Jesus. If you can honestly say that, you lift your hand quickly and say, yes, that's me. I want to be right with God. Amen. As every head is bowed, every eye is closed, I want to make a specific call. God is speaking to his people. And I know a lot was said tonight, but the enemy is after God's best. He's after you. You are God's best. And he is out to destroy any righteous seed in the earth. And every time that he looks at you, he vehemently hates you and opposes you. That is why before we get saved, it's not, life normally is not that difficult. You get saved and begin to walk in righteousness and newness of life, and you begin to find that things get very difficult because there's a devil in hell that is out to destroy you. He hates God's remnant people. He hates anyone who resembles God. And his desire is to exploit God's best, to change our language and our literature. And maybe God is speaking to you. He's speaking to you right now about kingdom language. He's speaking to you right now about kingdom culture. And you say, you know, God, I, I don't even know the language. I can't even speak about you and the precepts of the kingdom of God fluently. Listen, you can have any other culture you want to have. But God help us if we are so fluent and knowledgeable about so many other things in life. But when it comes to spiritual things, we're lacking.
So I'm not talking to you about new converts, but there's some people here that, that, that you don't even read your Bible. Half the time you don't even know where your Bible is. You can't have a lengthy conversation at all about spiritual things and godly things. And you know that's a problem. The, the Holy Ghost of God is dealing with you. You know that's a problem. Secondly, maybe the Spirit of God is dealing with you about some taste that you've acquired. You say, God, I've developed some appetites after birth, movies and shows and venues, relationships and music and reading material and addictions and strongholds. God, I've developed some things that are contrary to your will. I know it, God. So I'm not talking to you about, you know, Stacey Diller trying to be heavy on you. I'm just talking to you about the Spirit of God that dwells in you that's speaking to you. And you say, God, on top of me not knowing language and literature, I've developed some habits and some appetites that are not right. Well, I declare to you this evening, you must know your God. You have to purpose your heart and determine your will. You say, I am going to judge anything that will come to defile me and make me useless. See, that is what the enemy wants to do. He knows he can't just kill you, but he is out to try to make you absolutely useless where there's so much of the world in you that you miss the will of God. That you no longer resemble what heaven would have you resemble. Listen, we're not going to play religious games here tonight. We're not going to front. If the Spirit of God is dealing with you, speaking to you, whatever level it may be, the reading of the Word of God, knowing the literature of the kingdom of God, cleaning your house and getting out anything that would defile you and keep you from the will of God, whatever degree it may be, you say, God, I got to get some things right. I want you to move right now from your seat, and I want you to come find a place to pray. This altar's open. I want you to come right now. You say, I got to deal with some stuff tonight. I'm not waiting till tomorrow. I'm not waiting till next week. I'm going to deal with some things right now in 